Now, in August, we saw some great performances in the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, I hope you were watching that. It, it looked a bit empty, didn't it? Uh, there was zero audience uh, there. At, there were no spectators uh, in Tokyo in August, July, August, end of July, August. But as I was watching that, it was good, good stuff. And the game produced some, some many heroes, new heroes, right? My favorite hero of the games was the American sprinter, Sidney McLaughlin. I think that's how you say her name, McLaughlin, right? Uh, who broke her own world record in 400-meter edos. And after Sydney won, she proudly said, I no longer ran for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace, through faith, the Lord Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. In the middle of that amazing Olympic glory, Sydney never forgot she was in a much bigger race. Not only did she commend God, but her commendation of God even became a prayer because she recognized that she was in a much bigger race than simply Olympic glory, a race for Olympic glory. She was in a race set by God for her. The amazing race of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for Sydney, breaking world records and lifting trophies is not an end in itself. It is only a means to an end. And the end for her is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is true for Sydney is true for every true follower of Jesus. If you are a true Christian, your life is not about you. It is about living for his glory. The Bible uses different types of images to describe what the Christian life is like. Right? Different images. For example, it tells us that we are a bride of Christ. So it gives the, the, the image of marital union. Uh, it, it gives us a, a, an image uh, of our life as a student. You are a follower of Christ. That's another image. There are many images of the Christian life in the Bible. Uh, for example, it says your, your life is like a traveler or even an immigrant. You are an exile here on earth, headed for the glorious city of God. There are many images of the Christian life in the Bible. Maybe what you should do is you sit down sometimes just to study those images for yourself. Well, one of the images that we're given of what it means to be a follower of Christ is that you're a runner. A runner. Like... Sydney McLaughlin. All followers of Jesus are runners in road in the race of faith. And we find this truth in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. It's worth reading uh, those words again. Therefore, in light of what he had just said in Hebrews 11, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the witnesses listed in Hebrews 11, let us also, like them, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who, that's verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This letter of Hebrews was written to any Jewish believers who had left Judaism to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But as soon as they did that, they faced new pressures. Uh, they faced pressures to return to their old customs and practices, to add to Jesus other things. And here in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, the author of Hebrews is reminding them and us that our life is a race of faith in Christ alone. Faith in Jesus is all we need. The Lord Jesus is enough. Is enough for us. That's why Hebrews is teaching us. And if you're trusting in Jesus today, you and I need to be reminded of this truth afresh, don't we? Because we're living in a world where there are so many things competing for the attention, of, for, for our attention, competing with Christ. So this morning, uh, I just want to encourage you to run the race of faith in the way that honors Christ, in a world in which there are many competing things for the Lord Jesus Christ over your life. They are against the Lord Jesus Christ uh, over your life. There are three great encouragements this passage gives us about running the race of faith. How should we run it? Well, the first encouragement is we must be fit for the race. Get ready for the race. You need to be fit, spiritually fit for the race. That's the first truth we learn here, the first encouragement. Now, the great uh, British Olympic champion, uh, Samo Farah, uh, in his book, describes a moment in his life that changed his life, that totally changed his career. In 2005, uh, Samo moved in to live with some Kenyan runners who were staying in Teddington. Uh, they had come to compete in Europe, so they were staying in Teddington, and he decided to stay with them. The first evening he moved in, he was getting ready to go to the cinema, right, in the evening. So, downstairs, so he went downstairs to see what the Kenyan, uh, Kenyan guys were up to, and he wanted to invite them uh, to come out with him to the cinema that evening. But to his surprise, when he came downstairs, he found out that they were all sleeping. They had all gone to bed after 8.30 p.m. So he was shocked by this. He off, off he went to the cinema, he came back, went to bed, and the next day he woke up late, because the Kenyans had already gotten up at 6 a.m. So he, was, he had to catch up with them. And after the Kenyans got up at 6, 6 a.m., um, they, 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 they ran, then they ate, then they rested, and then they went to bed. So they had really had time to chat with them. In the afternoon, they did the same thing, right? They trained again, they ate, they rested, and then they went early to bed. And for entertainment, they just played chess. They watched old running videos. They never watched televisions or anything else like that. Or, you know, they never watched TV shows or movies. This is all they did, just watch running videos and play chess. They did this every day. And then suddenly, Mo realized that to the Kenyans, running is their life. And that is when Samoa decided to make running his life by getting rid of, of all the bad habits that had weighed him down. 
And the, the rest, as I say, is what? Is history, isn't it? Is history. Moore is reminding us, isn't it, that every good Olympic race starts with good preparation. A good preparation that gets rid of all the bad habits that stops a competitor. And the same is true for our race of faith in Christ. The writer of the Hebrews there in verse 1 tells us that is what we need to do. We need to get spiritually fit for the race. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us so lay aside every weight. He's saying we must lose weight. Not to worry, don't panic. It's spiritual weight. <laughs> the phrase says lay aside, right? And that means literally strip off or throw off. He's saying cut off from your life, you're a true follower of Jesus, cut off from your life any unhelpful habits, behaviors, and friendships that may not necessarily be sinful in themselves, but they are making it hard for you to live your life for Jesus. There are many behaviors. You know what I'm talking about. There are many things that waste our time. People that are not always helpful to us. He says, lay aside. Cut that off. Maintain the witness, particularly these friendships, but live in such a way that you're not weighed down by them. You're not distracted from the race. They are not necessarily sinful things he's talking about. He's going to talk about sin in a minute. But bad habits, bad behaviors, bad relationships that are unhelpful. Lay them aside. He also says here we must also remove any sin that clings to us or entangles us. Look at this one again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, right, and sin which clings so closely. The, the image here is like, is that of a runner who is running a bit like Mr. Bean? So if you've seen Mr. Bean, Johnny English, he's always getting tangled up, isn't he? As he's running, something always comes in the way that messes things up. He's always tripping himself up. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews says, we need to get rid of those things. Those sins that are constantly tripping us up. Everyone has sins in their lives that they fall repeatedly to. Now, I know sometimes I've asked people, is there any sin you're particularly vulnerable to? And they'll say, no, I haven't got particular any sin. But I'm convinced that when you, if you reflect deeply over your life, you have some sins that you fall repeatedly to. Or maybe it's just me. You know that sin which your family members, your friends, your co-workers, or your fellow students always accuse you of. As someone told you recently, stop thinking only about yourself. Has somebody told you that? Well, what they really mean is you are selfish. You only live for yourself. Is someone afraid of telling you the truth or asking you questions because you easily get angry at home? It means you have sins of anger and pride. That's what they mean. And you do that all the time. You need to cut that off. Do you constantly talk down to your mom? Well, you are disobedient. Are you always looking for negatives in people? You have hatred in your heart. There are many sins which we tolerate, petty sins. Uh, Jeff Bridges, is it Jerry Bridges? Called, called, not Jeff Bridges, that's the actor. Jerry Bridges <laughs> calls them respectable sins, isn't it? 
Things we, they're not respectable, but what it means is that we respect them. We tolerate them. They are our pet sins. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying here, look, we must put those sins to death. Beloved, there is no little sin in your life. Because there is no little God to sin against. There's no little sin. Because there's no little God to sin against. Our God is infinitely great and he commands us that we take all unhelpful habits and all sin seriously. And turn away from them. You must repent of your sin. What is repentance? Well, repentance is not simply feeling bad about your sin. It is not admitting that you are sinning against God and you just keep going in the same direction. No, true repentance in the Bible is we were headed to one direction and we turn around and head to another direction, the opposite direction, with a new attitude. That's very important. You are headed to London Bridge, as I like to say, right? And maybe that was the wrong place. You get out of the train and you start heading, I don't know, to Gravesend or something. But with a more, with a better attitude. That's repentance. That's what he's calling us to do about our sin. And this change in the believer's life is produced within us by God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He convinces us that our habits, these are helpful habits we picked up, uh, and behaviors, they are vile and sinful before God because they are not pointing us to the Lord Jesus. He shows us, God the Holy Spirit, that God is infinitely great and we have wronged him. The Holy Spirit makes us sorrowful about how ugly our sin is before our holy God. And as we feel sorrow for this godly sorrow in us, it, it leaves us deeply now yearning to be forgiven of our sin by God. We realize that we are helpless against our habits. Uh, we are helpless against things we get up to. We need God the Father in his mercy to, to intervene and restore us, to forgive us and restore us. To himself. So what do we then do? We run to the mercy seat, don't we? We run to Christ. We throw ourselves at his mercy. We plead his mercy based on the death of Christ for us. And when we repent of our sin, our Father forgives us. And when he forgives us, this restoration of our community. You see, as I like to say, you know, our union with God can never be broken by sin. But sin defiles our communion with God. And so, as we repent of our sin, our communion with God is now restored, isn't it? And it results in a deeper love for Him. And as we grow in deeper love for Him, we break free from that particular habit of sin. Now, this does not mean we'll never fall again into sin, into that particular sin again. But it means that because we have generally repented, we'll begin to sin less and less in that area because we now have a new hatred for that sin in our lives. Beloved, you have not truly repented of your sin if you're still hugging your sin tight or rationalizing it. True repentance hates sin. Because he grieves our heavenly Father. And of course all of this is made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross 
paid the penalty for our sin, and his resurrection broke the power of sin over our lives. You see, every true follower of Jesus has a new heart created by the Holy Spirit and filled by the Holy Spirit. So we are now free to say no to sin in our lives. So the question this morning is very, very simple. It is this. Are you willing, as you sit here this morning, to repent of habits, behaviors? And by behaviors, I even even mean behaviors like not even reading your Bible. That's ungodly behavior. Not preparing yourself even to come into worship to listen to the word in the best frame of mind. That is also ungodly. There are many ungodly behaviors. Are you willing to repent of those habits, those behaviors, those sins that are keeping you running effectively the race of faith? Do you love the Lord Jesus enough to let them go? Is Christ more precious to you than your habits, your hobbies, your ungodly relationships? Are you willing to say with the hymn writer, Isaac Watts, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. I guess what I'm asking this morning, beloved, is this. Dear friend, are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Are we on the same page or do you still belong to Satan? Is your end still destruction or are you following him? Because if we truly belong to Christ, you see, we, 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 we desire to get spiritually fit. We, 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 we must get spiritually fit for our rest of faith in Christ. That is the first encouragement we see here. The second encouragement is this. We must not only get fit for the rest, we must actually run the race with endurance. We must run the race with endurance. First point is that we must be fit for the rest. The second point is that we must run the race with endurance. You know, during the 2012 games, right, some African competitors went missing in London. Do you know why? Because they didn't come to compete. (laughs) They got on that Olympic thing to move to London and stay here. So when they arrived, I mean, that's a no-brainer. What did I think of that before I came to this country? (laughs) You can just take up swimming when no one is swimming in Indola, I guess, and come here. And uh, they did that. They moved to the UK, and that's all they wanted to do. That is shameful, of course, isn't it? The point of being fit for the race is not to run away, to go MIA. It is to take part in the race. And the same is true for us, isn't it, in Christ. We are enrolled in this race of faith, beloved, not to be spiritual spectators. We are not in Christ as some sort of spiritual tourists. No, we are in the race of faith to run it with endurance, without quitting. That's what verse 1 says, isn't it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run, how should we run? With endurance, the race that is set before us. The writer of Hebrews saying that we must run with endurance. That means to say we must keep going in our faith. We must stick with Christ when our flesh 
The world and the devil are all screaming at us to stop. And, and running the race of faith with endurance, therefore, means being willing to obey Christ in small things and in big things. And most of your life is, is, is composed of small things. So you've got to obey Christ every day, day by day, in those small things. No matter how much it costs you. It means putting Christ above your deepest desires. Above things you value, like family, relationships, acceptance in society, and even over your physical life. To be willing to die for him. You see, to run the race of faith with endurance means abandoning yourself for Christ. It means even being willing to suffer for him. And this is a tough message for us to hear. It's tough in our society now. This is countercultural, isn't it? We live in a world where everything revolves around the self. Promote yourself. Entertain yourself. Comfort yourself. Take care of yourself, we say to one another. We want to get that promotion, don't we? Ahead of our competitors. We are constantly striving to be the best, the first, the best known, the best well-funded, the most loved. We indulge our desires to do anything we can to meet our needs. We put our needs first. Even in church life, we only do things that suits us. Very rarely do I meet people who do things in church because it's for Christ alone. We usually do things because they work for us. And sadly, when we look at the church of God, people who are found in the church of God, many seem completely satisfied with living their own lives for the sake of themselves rather than for the Prince of Glory who died on the cross for us. Many are running endlessly after the next temptation. The bigger house, the nicer possession, higher success, and a more comfortable lifestyle. Beloved, such things show a lack of contentment in Christ. Deep down, such people feel that if they let go of the stuff of this world, they will miss out on satisfaction. As Iota says, it's your law, isn't it? You only live once. That's how such people live. And the Bible is telling us here, you see, that this self-centered impulse is not true faith in Jesus. It is not running the race with endurance. Because true faith is what the Lord Jesus told us in Mark 8, verse 34 to 35. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone dare call themselves a runner for Christ... If anyone dare call themselves a bride of Christ, if anyone dare call themselves a disciple of Christ, if anyone dare call themselves an exile of Christ, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me to the cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever dies to self on the cross, for my sake, and the Gospels, 
will serve it. God in the scripture commands us to do the unthinkable. He commands us to say no to the person you, are most, you most have trouble saying no to. And that's yourself. That's myself. And he's saying to us, run your race in Christ with endurance by denying yourself for me. That's true faith. And the question all of us have to answer this morning is this. Does this describe your life this morning? And we need to give a clear answer to this question because, you see, if dying to self and running the race with endurance is not what we are doing, then we are not living for the Lord Jesus. No matter how many Sundays we come to church, no matter what great fellowship we have with one another, all we are doing is we are living for self and we are deluding ourselves. We are nothing more than spiritual tourists. If you're settling for that, it will send you to hell forever. And we must realize that before it is too late. Because it wouldn't be a tragedy, isn't it? You come to church every time and no one has told you this. But you're sending yourself to hell. What is so loving about me not telling you that? Beloved, there is only one way for us to live. It is to run the race of faith in Christ with obedience and with endurance. So, beloved, resolve to give your life to Christ. Young, from the youngest year to the oldest. No matter the cost. And keep dying to self. Do not settle for this perishing world, but run the race of faith with endurance. Now, of course, what the Lord is calling us to do is hard. It will cost us to keep dying to self. It's painful. That's the, that's the nature of the crucifixion. Death to self is painful. To keep standing firm against Satan in the world is costly. So, how do we keep going? Well, by looking to Christ, isn't it? Looking to Christ. And that is our final encouragement. The first encouragement is that we must be fit for the race. The second encouragement is that we must run the race with endurance. And the final encouragement this morning is that we must finish the race by looking to Jesus. We can only do this by looking to Jesus. God wants us to run and finish the race of faith with endurance. And the way we do that is by looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Two and three there, and not to ourselves. He says, Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary. Offend hearted. I just want to point out quickly here there are three things we are told here about how we should look to the Lord Jesus to help us run the race of faith to the end. Just three quick things. First of all, we must look to Jesus as our source of faith. We must look to Jesus as the source of our faith in Him. That's what verse 2 says, isn't it? Looking to Jesus, the founder. 
That simply means Jesus is the author or the origin of our faith in him. If you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you are in Christ because he has given you faith to believe and trust in him. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no race of faith to run. Right? And because Jesus is the source of your faith, you have all the unconditional love and limitless resources you need in Christ to help you finish your race to the end. So this is encouraging. You are not alone in this world. You do not need to depend on yourself. Christ is looking after you every day. So go to him because he is caring for you. Are you going through a situation at this moment that is making you doubt that God is at work in your life? Is it something to do with your work, your family, or your school perhaps? What the Bible is saying here to you today, look to the Lord Jesus to strengthen your faith. He has promised that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you currently facing physical or emotional or or mental pain that is making your faith, making you feel like your faith in the Lord Jesus is completely inadequate? Are you feeling like that? Well, keep looking to Jesus, who says, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power at work within you. So, look to Jesus as a source of your faith. That's how you run the race with endurance. The second thing we see there is that we must look to the Lord Jesus as the Savior of our faith. That's also in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord Jesus is our perfecter, is the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Well, in the book of Hebrews, it means Christ, through his death on the cross, has atoned or paid the price of for sin and makes us perfect, so to speak, righteous before God, acceptable before God. We have now in Christ been justified and given a new life before God. You see, all of us are born rebels against God, even the little ones. We enter this world as rebels against God. We are born cut off from the spiritual life of God. And we are born under that everlasting punishment. But God, out of his abundant love, has reached out to us in the filthiness of our sin. God the Son, the Lord Jesus, on that cross, you see, paid that infinite penalty with his own blood, the penalty that you and I deserve. You see, when Christ died on the cross, you see, God the Father placed upon our Lord the the sin of his elect. Christ on the cross offered the punishment we deserve for his people. He pleased God to crush our Lord Jesus. It pleased our Lord Jesus to suffer the spiritual violence of God as our substitute. In our place. The death of Christ now is our shield from the wrath of God forever. 
before we were enemies of God. But because our Lord Jesus died for us, we are now friends of God. The death of Jesus has reconciled us to God. Before, I was a slave of sin, bound for hell. But Jesus, my Samson, broke the chains. He set me free. The death of Jesus redeemed me back to God. Before you, if you're trusting in Jesus, before you could not be in the presence of God because of your sin, the wrath of God would obliterate you. But the death of Jesus now is a sacrifice that makes you clean and welcomes you before God. Before all who are in Christ were under the power of death, Satan and hell. But Christ, our champion, defeated all our enemies on the cross. We are victors now in him. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Before we were without God and without hope in the world, Paul says. But Christ has brought us to himself. He has brought us to himself and he he is coming again to bring us into the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. We are now heaven-bound. Oh, beloved, this is how we endure. By remembering that Christ, the Prince of Glory, died on that cross for us. By remembering what our Savior has done for us. We endure by keeping the cross of Jesus central every day in our lives. In the middle of pain and disappointment, keep focusing on the cross. Love the cross. Listen to the cross. Don't get tired of the cross. Don't even fall asleep on the cross. Prize it highly above all things. Because it's the way you endure in this world. There's no other means for endurance except focusing on him there, crushed for your sin. So we look to Jesus as the source of our faith. We look to Jesus as the savior of our faith. And finally, we look to Jesus as the example. The example, isn't it? The example of our faith. Christ is a template for how we run the race and finish the race. Look at verse 23 again there. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In verse 3, it says that wonderful phrase, isn't it? We are commanded to consider him. That is to say, study Christ. Be a student of Christ. Study how Christ endured Study how he finished his race. Follow in his footsteps. And when we look at Christ there, what do we see? Well, we see God the Son, isn't it? Willingly enduring suffering and death from sinners, the writer of Hebrews says, and is now glorified in heaven. And the Bible is saying to us today, follow the example of Christ as you live for him, See that your Savior denied 
himself for us, and therefore you must deny yourself for him. Study why the Lord Jesus endured the cross to the end. You must study that. Why did Jesus endure to the end? Why did he do it? Well, the writer to Hebrews is clear. It's not for himself, but for us. He did it for the joy that was set before him. What is this future joy? Well, it is the joy of defeating Satan. It is the joy of defeating sin. It is the joy of defeating death. It is the joy of defeating hell for you. It is the joy of rising from death for you and sitting on the Father's throne for you. My friends, these things Christ went through were not for himself, beloved. Christ already had all the glory with his Father before he created the world. He was already glorified. His prayer was that we would see the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. So our Lord Jesus endured the Roman cross for one thing only. So that through his death, we who trust in him may see and share in his glory as our God-man. In Christ, we who belong to him now share in the glory and power and honor that God the Father has bestowed on him as our mediator and as our king. Christ is God plugging us to his glory. So that we human beings, we mortals, for the first time can sit on the chair of the ancient of days. Because as Christ is sad ruling the universe, we who are in him are sad with him. He died, he rose, he's ascended, he's sat, he's coming again. For our greatness, beloved, in him. For that's what Peter talks about in chapter 1. So that we would, have, we would enjoy the present glory and honor on that day. First Peter 1. Christ is our God exalted for us. And he did all of these things, you see, by surrendering himself to those cruel nails. And the writer of Hebrews says, we must follow his example. We must die to self and live for his glory. And if we do that, if we, do, if we deny ourselves, if we keep denying ourselves, not once, but we keep doing it, we keep doing it tomorrow, the day after, the day after, wow, we will prove that we are indeed his people. Because only those who endure to the end shall be saved, the Lord Jesus said. If we are saved, then we will endure to the end. If we live for him, enduring to the end, we will share, we already share in his glory, but we share in his full glory on that great day. And so today, if you're trusting in Jesus, I want to encourage you to put into practice these three encouragements we have learned in this passage. Get spiritually fit. Praise God for that. If it was a physically fitness, we'll be, I'll be out. Get spiritually fit for the rest of faith. Run the race of faith with endurance and finish the race of faith 
by focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, honor, and power. Amen.